everybody. Welcome to episode 153 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this episode we're going to go back to live-action Superboy coverage with episodes 3 and 4 of season 1, Back to Oblivion, and the Russian Exchange Student. However, before I get back into uh, the business of this week's episode, I have feedback to address as usual. This week's feedback is from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen episode 142, and Dave writes... Greetings, Mike. I think this time I'll just focus on one of the stories, The Curator. Like you, I suspected briefly that The Curator would turn out to be Brainiac, but at the time this episode aired originally, Brainiac seemed to have long dropped his early scheme of collecting cities and people from planets around the universe. In fact, once Superman foiled his attempt to steal various Earth cities, including Metropolis, and took the bottle city of Kandor to his Fortress of Solitude, I don't really think we saw much of the city-stealing Brainiac. The thing that fascinates me about the curator is the missed opportunities. I suppose an 11-minute story wouldn't really have allowed for the things I would have liked to have seen, but it's interesting to imagine since many stories in those days were about teaching lessons, this one would have been one that could have easily mentioned museums around the mostly Western world, essentially pillaging other countries' histories and treasures. As for example, how the British Museum obtained and tell sculptures from the Parthenon in Athens, and still to this day declines to return them to Greece. Or here in America, how Native American artifacts, or even bodies of ancestors, have long been held and even displayed in museums. I realize this would, even today, let alone the 1980s, be heavy and controversial for a kid's cartoon, but it's interesting to hear the Super Friends scold the curator for taking things without asking, when many of our own nations do exactly the same thing, with no sense of irony. I am looking forward to your discussion of the Supergirl movie. I know it's not generally held in very high esteem, but I've always had a soft spot for it despite its many problems, simply because it was the first real treatment of Supergirl on the screen, and I've always been a Supergirl fan. Live long and prosper, Dave. Well, as always, thank you, Dave, for writing in. Episode 42 came out so long ago, I really have very little memory of the uh, of the curator story without looking it up or, hell, even watching it again. So I don't have a ton to add to Dave's comments. But yeah, I agree that an 11-minute story really wouldn't have the time to uh, take museums to task about uh, pillaging other cultures or and their treasures and stuff like that. And yeah, that would be a little heady for a kid's cartoon and possibly something uh, that might upset kids. I don't know, but it just a, a kid's cartoon just doesn't seem to be the appropriate place for uh, for such a thing. And Dave is looking forward to my coverage of Supergirl, so... I guess we'll see what Dave's thoughts on that are next time. I've got some other feedback here to address. I have uh, an email from Jack Bond. Subject is Legendary Superpowers 7 and 8. And uh, Jack writes, Case of the Dreadful Dolls. Not much to say about this one, except from the toy line perspective. El Dorado does not get a doll made for him. Royal Ruse. Like you, I know what ruse means. And although I didn't have my eye on the clock, the Super Friends freeing the planet seemed to happen fast. And I wondered what the Royals had tricked them into actually doing. Darkseid makes a surprise appearance. Did you say Darkseid should have been in more of the stories? I disagree. I like that this might have been an old Super Friends episode. The alien ruler or scientist wants something and hasn't considered the consequences. Then Darkseid shows up. He still seems special. Maybe it's that he hasn't been defeated too many times yet. I did look back and see that only one episode, Dinosaurs and Uncle Mixias Pitalik, is without Darkseid, Brainiac, or Luthor, which I consider the big three. And there was a double Luthor episode that could have switched parts. The DVD has occasional commentary tracks, Mark Wade and whichever episode writer they can find. Rich Fogel said he had come over from Filmation, writing made-for-TV superheroes, and was glad to get 
to real ones with history. As he's saying this, I see on screen Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, and Robin and Firestorm. So I guess the writers do get a bit of choice in their characters. The Village of Lost Souls? That title is a combination of two horror films, Village of the Damned and the Island of Lost Souls, but they don't quite fit. The alien presence in the first village was making children more than human, and on an island, a scientist was trying to raise animals up to a human level. Perhaps if Brainiac had robotized the people to improve them rather than enslave them. As it is, with the child afraid her parents are not her parents, brings to mind Invasion of the Body Snatchers or Invaders from Mars. But if you combine those titles, you get Invasion of the Invaders. I can understand the, uh, the curator. I can understand the idea of having Brainiac be the collector of the landmarks, but that hasn't been touched upon in this cartoon before, has it? They added a robotic body going forward. Maybe adding this as a mission or even a hobby going forward could work for the character. Writer Rich Vogel acknowledged that they are to an extent shorthanding the characterization of the existing heroes and villains in the show, expecting viewers to fill them in from other stories and other media. I do wonder what I would think of Darkseid if I'd seen these these before reading the Fourth World reprints. Jack. I guess I was wrong. I guess I did uh, read the... uh, I guess I should have read this letter this week because he mentions the curator, which was the uh, letter, which was the the only story that Dave talked about. And I kind of wish Dave had talked about some of of the other ones because some of the other ones were actually a little bit more interesting. Well, with the exception of the case of the Dreadful Dolls. Yeah, that's not that one. The less said about that one, the better. Obviously, Jack is watching these on the DVD, and uh, I've been watching them for this show on DC Universe, so I one of the things you miss out on when you're watching it on the streaming service is uh, the ability to listen to the commentaries. I don't own the discs, so that's a little bit of insight that, you know, that I'm kind of missing out on. And uh, as far as Royal Ruse goes, Jack was like me and uh, trying to figure out what the ruse was because, yeah, he they did rescue the planet awful quick. So I was kind of waiting for things to... Uh, to kind of go to hell, but I know uh, Jack wasn't watching the timer, but the timer is constantly going at the bottom of my screen when I'm watching these things. The only reason why I said that perhaps Darkseid should have been in more of the stories is just because it does seem during uh, Season 8, not even Season 9 to an extent, that the episodes Darkseid appears in are superior to the ones in which he does not. There are seven previous episodes of, of Super Friends without Darkseid, so if you want your scientists... Uh, you're a well-intentioned scientist getting into trouble. There's plenty of that there for you. Yeah, I can see uh, Jack's combination of the uh, the two horror films. I had to look up Village of the Damned real quick because I wasn't sh- sure if there was a version before the 1995 version that Christopher Reeve appeared in. Apparently, there was one in uh, 19, uh, 1960. Village of the 1995 version is the only one I've seen. As I'm not really the biggest horror fan in the world. And uh, yeah, I didn't... Uh, I didn't bring to mind the, uh, I didn't think of the connection to Invasion of the Body Snatchers with uh, the child afraid of parents uh, that were not her parents. And as far as the curator goes, I can definitely see uh, Rich Fogel's uh, acknowledgement that they had to uh, kind of do shorthand characterization of the heroes and the villains. And probably the reason why I thought of Brainiac as uh, a possible candidate for the curator probably was because my own mind was filling in the blanks and uh, modern comics is kind of uh, with regards to Brainiac. And even uh, Krypton and looks like Supergirl may or may not be going the same way right now. Is with Brainiac now, they're kind of beating the Collector of Worlds thing to death. And yeah, I can imagine that it must have been nice for Rich Fogel to finally get to work on some quote-unquote real superheroes with uh, history. Uh, I don't know if there was a mandate that they had to use certain ones other than more than others, but 
yeah, when you're dealing with characters like Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, and Robin, you've uh, you've got some history to to work with right there. And uh, Jack wonders what he would think of Darkseid if he'd seen these cartoons before reading the Fourth World reprints. I don't know because I've read a lot of Fourth World and uh, watched the Fourth World stuff on the Superman animated series in the '90s, so I was quite taken aback to uh, what passes for Darkseid and Kalibak and the side in this season. It's much uh, closer to comics accurate in the in Galactic Guardians, which I'll which you all saw. So I pretty much have nothing else to say about that. So at this point, I'm going to take a break, play a podcast promo. And when I come back, I'm going to talk about the Superboy episode, Back to Oblivion. Hang around, folks. Hey, everybody. My name is Trennis Magnus. I host a show called Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, a podcast dedicated to comics, movies, and TV shows. During the course of my show, I've talked about horror movies, comic book back issues, old Star Trek episodes, season-by-season analyses of Smallville, and so much more. Heck, I've even talked about prose novels a few times. You never quite know what's coming next with Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, and that's the whole fun. So, check out Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. New episodes of Trennis Magnus Punches Reality can be found every Tuesday on iTunes, and at twotruefreaks.com. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to start with the Superboy episode, Back to Oblivion. This was episode three of season one. Original broadcast date, October 22nd, 1988. Director was Colin Chilvers. Writer was Fred Friedberger. Guest cast was Dennis Michael as Henry Oman, Abe Vigoda as Mr. Wagner, and Tanya Roberts as the college student. And our synopsis is brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. TJ White heads out to an old scrapyard for an interview. There are cameras watching everything the young photographer does, and TJ calls out for a Mr. Wagner, and a voice yells back through an amplified speaker system that TJ's a liar and that he needs to get off the property. Meanwhile, back at campus, Clark tells Lana that the reason he and TJ are meeting at the scrapyard... Hi! Wanna go for a swim? I can't. Yes, you can. I I can't. <clears throat> I'm supposed to meet TJ. You're not gonna meet him here. What do you mean? He's off in another scoop of the month. <laughs> We're supposed to go to the scrapyard together. I hope you're joking. A scrapyard? You two are really weird. No, no. Kai Omega, they sent a pledge to the scrapyard to lift a bumper off a junk car, and he came back with some wild story about the scrapyard attacking him. Can I have my hot dog back, please? I think it's a pledge's imagination running wild. Not the scrapyard. Well. Come on, let's go for a swim. What are you doing? <laughs> Soon, though, TJ finds himself the yard's next victim. He is forced into a collection of aluminum cans by a seemingly unmanned bulldozer while a man stands watching and laughing in the background. Clark, who has just been pushed into a swimming pool by Lana, hears TJ in trouble and launches from the pool to rescue him. TJ recounts what happens to what happened to his friends. Clark, Clark, you're not going to believe what just happened to me. I know you went off by yourself again, man. I appreciate that. Hey, would you listen to me? I'm sorry. But that wag, that, that, that maniac Wagner just tried to kill me. Mr. Yeah. Wagner, you wouldn't even hurt a fly. Yeah? Well, if Superboy hadn't shown him out of nowhere, I'd be dead and buried in a ton of his junk. That's a nice man. 
Listen, he's really scary. He looks like a skeleton. Oh, or he's overweight, if anything, TJ. Yeah, well, if he's overweight, I, I'm a sumo wrestler. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> you know, he goes out of his way to help. Like when we he did that, uh, we did that campaign on drug abuse. Remember the car that was totaled by Arthur? Omanoff. Omanoff, yeah. When he was high on crack. It didn't end up in Wagner's junkyard. Oh, so what? He towed it to the campus free of charge. We put this sign on it. Crack kills. Talk about effective. For weeks, nobody took a hit of anything. Well, that's fine, Lana. But that's ancient history. Modern times, the man is a psycho. Fine, I'm calling the cops. Tell you can't, TJ. TJ. Oh, yeah, well, watch me. Hey, um, what Mr. Wagner needs is a friend. Go tell that to TJ. When Lana arrives at the scrapyard calling for Mr. Wagner, she is cornered by Wagner, who thinks World War II is still underway and trapped within his lair. How long has it been since you've had anything to eat? I eat what I can find. But there's a supermarket two blocks away. Do you have money? I have money. But who dares to go out? They throw stones. I heard about that. They're just rowdy kids. No, no, not kids, Nina. Grown-ups, men, women, children. People who were once our neighbors turned on us. You're confusing me with somebody else, Mr. Wagner. My name is not Lena. It's Lana. Lana Lang? Oh, my poor Liebson. That's the way of the Gestapo. They brainwash. Taking away your identity to make nothing of a person. Mr. Wagner, World War II has been over for more than 40 years. There is no more Gestapo. That is their method! They twist minds, making you think of things that never happen. <laughs> In their drive for power, they will destroy the human race if necessary. When DJ tells Clark, who was in the gym, Lana went alone with some food for Mr. Wagner, Clark slams an extremely heavy barbell down and exclaims, She's gonna get herself killed. TJ and Clark arrive via van at the scrapyard, and Lana tries to tell Wagner, who keeps calling her Lena, that they are her friends. Wagner, crazy thinking that Lana is his granddaughter and in need of protection, uses his remote computers to trap Clark in the crusher, but then the power goes out because Clark has fought back against the machine, shutting it down. Then, as Superboy, Clark rescues TJ from being blown to bits in a minefield and tells the photog to stay put, and then goes after Lana. Still arguing with Lana that the newspapers have brainwashed everyone into thinking the war is long over, Wagner suffers from concentration camp flashbacks. What are you doing in here? Mr. Wagner, look. Look at your picture. In the Daily Planet. Look, look at the date. Fifteen years after the war. Have I not told you how diabolical they are? How they brainwash? My barricades. They are breaking through. They're smashing our defenses. Mr. Wagner, listen to me. Mr. Wagner, Mr. Wagner, listen to me. Listen to the Daily Planet. Do not be afraid, me. I'm not afraid. And there's no reason for you to be afraid anymore. Look, 
Professor Wagner is one of the survivors of the Auschwitz concentration camp, where he was the subject of inhumane medical experiments. He's to conduct a series of lectures at the Metropolis University. And sets dynamite to explode when Superboy comes through the door. Superboy hears Wagner explain this will happen to, to Lana and detours in through the wall instead. Clearly suffering from a breakdown, Wagner passes out. I'm sorry. There was no other way. You'll make it. You mustn't be blamed. Nobody should be blamed. Let's be grateful nobody was killed. On the way to the hospital, Wagner seems to remember what time period he's in, and that Lana is not his granddaughter, but a girl from the school. In the end... Oh, man. Guess the excitement was just too much for his heart. It wasn't the excitement to you, Jay. Just he couldn't find a place to hide from hate and persecution. Superboy fights hate and persecution? <laughs> yeah, but there's only one Superboy. Yeah, there's only one. I'll see you guys back at the dorm. I feel like walking. Hey, I think I owe you a hot dog. <laughs> How about it? <laughs> Why not? Come on. All right, there's not a lot to this episode. This episode is basically, I don't want to say it's really a chase, but the kids are trying to get to Mr. Wagner in his scrapyard, and he is defending their scrapyard, keeping basically trying to kill whoever comes to get him. So it's clear, without really knowing what's going on, that Mr. Wagner is either some kind of criminal or there's something wrong, and we're going to... uh discover the latter as this episode goes on and it starts at the scrapyard the tj white going up to what appears to be an abandoned scrapyard you watch something like that you know there's no way that could possibly end up good for him and we know somebody's home because there is a video camera keeping a very close eye on tj and it's like the show is trying to go for some kind of horror vibe here which is difficult being that tj's walking through the uh scrapyard in broad daylight if you really wanted to make this scrapyard look more foreboding, you could uh, do it at night. But nope, this show shoots in the bright sunlight. And uh, as TJ's walking through, the crusher goes off, which was clearly an attempt to scare him away. The loud noise, uh, at the very least, made him jump. So TJ wants an interview with uh, Mr. Wagner, and uh, Mr. Wagner tells him to get off his property. So what does TJ do? Not that. He does not get off the property. So while TJ is not getting off the property, we switch back to... The college campus where Lana has found herself another piece of 1980s beefcake. This one is called Henry. And uh, she wants to go swimming. He doesn't. Uh, Clark wanders into the set and uh, is getting himself a hot dog. And uh, Lana is trying to invite Clark for a swim. And uh, 
part of her method of persuasion is taking off her top right in front of him so he can uh, see how good uh, Lana looks in a bikini. And uh, Clark still tries to resist as uh, Lana steals his hot dog from him and takes a playful bite out of it and uh, pushes him off screen. So this show is not doing a uh, very good job if it's even trying to hide uh, some sexual innuendo and uh, try to show that there's some sexual tension between him and uh, him and Lana. I'm not used to the way Lana is just kind of throwing herself at Clark here. I haven't read enough Superboy comics from the Silver Age to uh, to get a good handle on uh, the Lana-Clark relationship, despite the fact that he's always uh, trying to fight her off from discovering that he's Superboy, which is something that's eventually going to happen in this show. So uh, while Lana and Clark are playing at the uh, the college pool, uh, TJ can't take a hint when, you know, when someone tells you to get out of the junkyard, you get out of the junkyard, or you end up being covered by... Uh, Mountain Dew, Dr. Pepper, and old Pepsi cans. This episode brought to you by Pepsi-Cola. So back at the uh, at the college, Lana pushes Clark into the pool in a cringe-worthy scene, which is saved only by the fact that 1988 Stacey Heideck looks great in a two-piece swimsuit. So here's an interesting transition because uh, Clark is in the water, TJ's in trouble, he hears TJ call for help, and then as Lana goes off the diving board, Clark flies out of the water as Superboy. I'm not sure... How Lana didn't notice that something had happened here. Maybe she, not necessarily. Maybe he flew up fast enough for her not to see, but you'd think she at least heard the splash. So uh, Superboy pulls uh, TJ out of the uh, out of the Pepsi cans, and uh, he gives uh, TJ a little bit of a lecture about no trespassing signs. Uh, but uh, apparently TJ thinks no trespassing signs uh, don't apply to him because he's a reporter. That is not the case. You can get in trouble for being on someone else's property unauthorized whether you have a press pass or do not trespassing is trespassing and uh superboy uh sets him down and tells tj that he has more pressing things on his mind tj is not the most important thing on superboy's mind right now and when he says he's got something pressing on his mind he's probably thinking of pressing up against lana in that swimsuit somehow he convinces uh, lana that he was underwater looking for his glasses the whole time just a note that when he when he disappeared all you see is lana kind of with his glasses it's almost as if she's thinking that he drowned, but I imagine while he was gone, she was looking around the pool and didn't see him anywhere. So it has to be kind of jarring for her just to have him surface suddenly out of nowhere. I mean, it's a clear pool. You would think if she looked in the water, she'd be able to see him. It's not that big. So like I said, somehow he convinces Lana that he was underwater looking for his glasses. And uh, that leads to, a, I guess you can call it a playful exchange in the pool. Some of the acting here is a little uh, not good. So Lana and Clark don't necessarily believe that Wagner tried to kill him, but Lana thinks that Mr. Wagner is a decent guy because he donated uh, something to the college. Uh, the Lana solution? Mr. Wagner needs a friend, and he, perhaps she is going to provide it. And that's exactly what she does, because she goes to the junkyard with what at first appears to be a bag of bagels, but it's got at least, at the very least, a loaf of Italian bread in it. You know, the long, thin kind. I thought at first it was bagels, but you can see the... Uh, the long bread sticking out. She uh, looks a little nervous heading up to the abandoned scrapyard, and rightly so. I think I would uh, be a little nervous walking up to a scrapyard that appears to be abandoned. And she looks even more freaked out after the gate automatically opens for her. Think of this. You're at what appears to be, on its face, an empty scrapyard. And then the gate opens. So the gate opens for her. She's a lot prettier than TJ White, so Mr. Wagner's not telling her to get out. So now it's Lana's turn to uh, wander through the scrapyard. Clark, meanwhile, apparently he works, uh, he either work, works at the gym with some kind of work study program or 
He is at just at the gym just because he needs something to do with his time. The show does not specify, but TJ knows where to find them, and he reports to Clark that Lana went to the scrapyard. And after the conversation, I love the uh, frustration as Clark just lifts up the weight and uh, slams them down uh, when he's commenting about Lana. I think that gets TJ's attention, but he doesn't say anything about it. So here is uh, Abe Vigoda as uh, Mr. Wagner looking uh, pretty crazy. You know, he uh, you can just tell that when you look at him that something's uh, not right. You know, Vigoda here plays kind of uh, the crazed grandfather here very well. Uh, it's the kind of character that, you know, in my eyes, Abe Vigoda is very good at. You know, he's a very good character actor, and he's got a unique look. So that all plays into uh, the role of Mr. Wagner here, who, who I don't want to say he's a man out of time, but he's definitely appearing to suffer from some kind of dementia. Especially, you know, he's frantic. He's, while he's completely aware... Of everything in the junkyard, he doesn't seem to be aware of any reality beyond that. And plus, he keeps calling her Lena, not Lana. And that's more than just a simple mistake. And he leads Lana into a very creepy-looking room, and I wouldn't want to go in there. And, uh, of course, my first question was, why did she go to the scrapyard by herself? But that's neither here nor there. And uh, so this is uh, not the, uh, the smartest move that Lana has ever made. However, Mr. Wagner is hungry, so he appreciates... Uh, the goodies that Lana brought as he uh, goes to town on a loaf of bread here. So, Lana and Wagner get to talking, and since Wagner thinks that Lana is his granddaughter, he has no trouble opening up to her. And we this is when we find out that Wagner is afraid of going out because Wagner is connecting with Lana on a very childlike level, basically saying he's afraid of going out because of the grown-ups. And Mr. Wagner's mind is stuck in Nazi Germany, and he thinks... Lana is a long-lost granddaughter. Not sure how old Mr. Wagner is supposed to be here, but this being 1988 and Nazi Germany being 40 years before that, I kind of wonder that if uh, Mr. Wagner was old enough to have a granddaughter during the uh, during the Holocaust, unless of course Lena is a grand is a current granddaughter and uh, he uh, is kind of just trans putting uh, the Holocaust to 1988 instead of the 40s. There's really no way to know from the way this episode is presented. So, uh, TJ and Clark uh, come to the junkyard, and Clark tells TJ to stay put. Lana wants to leave, but Mr. Wagner is making her stay for her own protection. He thinks there's Gestapo and SS soldiers out there. And now the alarm goes off because Clark is in the scrapyard, and Wagner has just turned this place into his own den of traps, and this entire junkyard is just one defense mechanism after another. I mean, if it wasn't necessarily sad because of what's happening to Mr. Wagner... This entire setup would be pretty impressive. It would definitely make a great criminal hideout. You have an infinite number of booby traps with all of the uh, soda cans and scrap metal laying around the place. So now TJ wants to help Clark by coming into the scrapyard, and uh, we kind of know that's not going to go well for him if it goes at all. So the scariest thing about this episode is that Mr. Wagner was clearly not in his right mind. He suffered, like I said, he suffered from some sort of dementia, and his mind had been taken and has taken him back to World War II. He probably shouldn't be out unsupervised. He should probably be in someone's care. Once the episode is over, it doesn't necessarily tell us what's happening to Mr. Wagner, as I recall, but the old man clearly should not be in the scrapyard by himself. However, though, while he's while his mind is kind of stuck in the Holocaust, he does know that scrapyard very well. So Superboy shows up just in time to stop TJ from uh, stepping on a yellow cylinder that looks like a landmine, and Superboy takes him away while commenting on how repetitious things are getting. So Superboy's flying looks better in this episode than it did in previous ones. 
and Alana finds a newspaper clipping that Mr. Wagner was a noted physicist, and here we get a name drop of the Daily Planet. Superboy breaks through Wagner's defenses as Lana tries to convince him of what's real and what's not. But if you really don't really know what's going on though, I imagine Superboy breaking through the wall is pretty scary. And one of the one of the reasons why Wagner is appearing to be in this uh, condition that he's in is because of experiments done on him by the Nazis, which, you know, age could do that to him uh, as well. So I don't necessarily know why it needs to be experiments by the Nazis. But Superboy fortunately hears Wagner's comment about the dynamite, and uh, he comes in through the back and saves Lana. He tells Lana that Clark's not dead, and, and in his hysteria, Wagner shoots Superboy, and the ricochet hits him. For a minute, I thought Wagner was dead, but fortunately, he survives to get the help that he needs. Now, I'm assuming when Superboy says no one should be blamed, that he's talking about the immediate matter. The Nazis should definitely be blamed for whatever damage the experience has done to Wagner. So... As he's wheeled off in the stretcher, Wagner has a moment of lucidity when he realizes that Lana is from the college. So, that's a pretty sad episode, and Clark is pretty down, but Lana cheers him up by offering uh, to buy him a hot dog to replace the one she scarfed on him earlier. So, so what a sport right there. Not as much a chew on in this episode as compared to the first two, just the story of an old man whose mind got stuck in the past in old age. Sometimes people who are dealing with severe trauma can be a danger to not only themselves, but others. Most cases, though, not this extreme, but it's important everyone find a way to get the help they need before they end up piling metal scrap on the college students, even if it's unclear why TJ was going there in the first place. So, so that's all I got in that episode. So right now I'm going to take a quick break and play a podcast promo. Then I'm going to come back with the Russian exchange student. Hang around, folks. I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red alert! All crew members report to battle stations. Red alert. Shields up. What shields? You're Starfleet officers! Now start acting like it! Oh, it's just Garrett. Plain, simple, Garrett. Dax, we might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. This will surely become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen to The Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast. And here are your hosts, Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. Bloody hell. Oh, I love a woman in uniform. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to finish this episode off with The Russian Exchange Student. Original broadcast date was October 29th, 1988. This was episode four of season one. Director was Reza Badayi. Writer was Sarah Sava V. Finney and Vida Spears. Guest cast includes Rick DeFuria as the policeman, Dennis DeVoe as Thug One, Alex Eden as Thug Two, Courtney Gaines as Jeff Hilford, Heather Haas as Natasha Pokrovsky, Tanya Harley as Elena, Roger Preto as Detective Harris, Ralph Rafferty as the janitor, Chase Randolph as Drake, and Ray Walston as Professor Abel Gordon. And our synopsis is brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. 
Professor Gordon is working in his lab when a computer blows up and a Russian exchange student working as his assistant is fingered. Because she has been blamed for sabotaging the professor's computer and project, Natasha decides to go back to Russia because she can't stand not being liked. Natasha, what are you doing? Going back to the Soviet Union. I will not stay where I'm not wanted. Oh, come on, what do you mean not wanted? I want you. I, I, I mean, um... Thanks, TJ. The professor does not. The computer in the lab blew up yesterday. He thinks I did it. Come on, Natasha, you know that can't be true. Yes, it is. He doesn't like me nor trust me because I'm Russian. When she is told she must stay because the exchange can't be canceled, Natasha tries her best to go back to her assistant duties. There is a budding relationship between Natasha and TJ throughout the episode, so when trying to find the truth about the sabotage story, TJ has lost his objectivity and refuses to even consider Natasha as the guilty party. Oh yeah, TJ, what happened? I mean, you talked me into buying tickets to the Bulgarian Music Festival and then you never show up. <laughs> I got tied up. Lana, will you tell how long we waited? What, what do you mean, tied up? <laughs> cool it, Clark. I mean, can't you see just blushing? <laughs> blushing? I'm not blushing. This is, uh, this is a sunburn. You know, that's really weird about Natasha. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, the professor um, blaming her for that computer glitch? Well, they don't call him uptight Gordon for nothing. But, you know, anything's possible. What, you're saying she did it? She's no criminal. TJ, we are covering a story on the professor's formula. It is our job to think and to question things. Yeah, well, why only question things about Natasha? How about the hundred other people going in and out of that science building every day? TJ, only three people had access to the lab. Yeah, and only one's not an American, right? I don't know what this thing is you have for Natasha, but it's made you lose your objectivity. Yeah? Well, I think your prejudice has made you lose yours. Guys, guys, um, let's lighten up here. I'm just furious. Oh, that's real good. That's good. Clark, I don't believe him. Clark, just be a little bit more understanding. This is the first time TJ's ever had a girl he's really liked. I know that. He and Clark find themselves at odds on that matter, only because Clark believes that every angle must be investigated before a decision is made. During a demonstration of the professor's latest formula to make gasoline more efficient and less dangerous to the environment, there's another sabotage, an explosion. Superboy shows up just in time to shield the professor when the jeep they are using his new gasoline formula on explodes. According to Professor Gordon, ether found in the tank is what, when mixed with the gasoline, caused the vehicle to explode. So when a bottle of ether is later found in Natasha's locker, the police assume she's guilty and give her three days to leave the country. TJ, who was sure Natasha is innocent, and Clark, who just wants to be sure of the truth, decide to investigate the matter further. Okay, so we're all agreed that only three people had access to the lab, right? And we're in sync that Natasha's innocent, right? Well, you and I are TJ, but uh, what switched you, Clark? I never said she was guilty. So that leaves two possibilities. That's the Jeff and the professor. The professor wins sabotages on project. You don't know what his problems are or where they might lead him. Okay, Clark, you take the professor, I'll take Jeff. Okay. Oh, wait, uh, what about me? You be the uh, message coordinator. Uh, we'll call in about every 30 minutes. Uh -huh. Whoopee! Clark suggests they investigate the professor, who may have reasons of his own to sabotage his own experiments. Yeah. Excuse me, Professor. I don't have time to talk to you right now, especially about that girl. I'm not so sure she's guilty. <laughs> How dense can you be? 
The janitor saw her in the lab after Jeff and I left. And the ether was found in her locker. Bear with me for one moment. Let's, let's, let's say she really is innocent. No, 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 no. I trust Jeff unequivocally. I wasn't thinking of Jeff. Your subtlety astounds me. Why would I discredit my own formula? I'm just covering all the bases. If Superboy hadn't saved me, I would have been killed in that explosion. I'm a physicist. I know the power of explosives. Would I be stupid enough to cause an explosion that might kill me? Hmm? I have work to do. Thank you, Professor. Mm-hmm. Clark finds no reason to believe the professor is guilty, but TJ stumbles upon a conspiracy that puts him in great danger. We're almost home free, Mr. Drake. I've got the professor thinking Natasha's worse than Stalin himself. Well, I don't give a damn what the professor thinks. All I care about is destroying that formula. Because if we don't, it's going to ruin my company and probably every other oil company in the world. Well, don't worry. He's only got one backup disc. I'm sorry, I'm running your way. Look, I don't care about the shirt, but this camera. Really, a guy in the face. What? He was taking pictures of the door. His name's TJ. Hey, Jeff, what a coincidence. It's from the school newspaper. Always sticking his nose where it doesn't belong. Look, I was just taking a few pictures. Yeah, of our door. Sorry, fellas, didn't realize the door was off limits. Ah! You can uh, just take the film out of this and I'll be on my way, huh? You're not going anywhere. Listen, I gotta get back to the lab. So it was you all the time, huh? You set Natasha up! Get out of here. Take care of your problem. He's mine. Send him home to Mama. No, no. Via the shortcut. Superboy catches him just in time and then goes after Jeff. Now at the lab with the professor and Natasha, Jeff has tied up the two and threatens to kill the innocent Natasha unless Gordon gives up the disc with the formula on it. The professor obliges. Jeff takes the disc and then sets fire to the lab anyway. Superboy crashes through the window and extinguishes the flame while TJ and the authorities arrive to grab Jeff. But why do you have to go? I mean, you were proven innocent. Well, the professor has been asked to continue his studies in Russia, and he asked me to assist him. <laughs> that is really great. Congratulations. <laughs> We're going to miss you. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye, Natasha. Bye. See you guys. Well, I'm not going to miss you. Goodbye. I uh, got a billion pictures of you. I guess I'll be surrounded by you forever. I'll never forget you. Never. It's bien le bleu. I'll be seeing you.
All right, so this is a better episode than the previous one. There's a little bit more to it. Obviously, the title, The Russian Exchange Student, doesn't really tell a lot about what's going on with the episode, but it does tell about the subject of the episode, which is which is Natasha, the uh, foreign ex- exchange student who's working with uh, Professor Gordon. You know, we, so we start off in the lab with Jeff and Professor Gordon, the scientist and the assistant. Professor Gordon is the scientist and Jeff is the assistant, just to uh, clear that up. And Gordon's sci- computer just seems to spark and crap out. Fortunately, uh, the professor has a backup disk, and Jeff is very interested in the fact that the professor has another copy of these files. I thought something was off about Jeff from the very beginning. Just how interested he was in the professor's backup disk kind of uh, alerted me right away that Jeff was uh, had some sinister motives. Not that I knew what they were the first time going through this. And of course, we asked if anyone else has been in the lab while he was out, and uh, here's a blonde student that walks into the lab, and she's suddenly uh, fingered as having uh, done some sabotage, and this is Natasha. This is our Russian exchange student, and uh, this was 1988, a time when relations were improving between the U.S. and the Soviet Union, only uh, three short years before the USSR collapsed. So, obviously, uh, the first person any uh, American is going to blame uh, for s- some perceived act of sabotage is uh, the citizen of an enemy nation. And this episode picked up on a lot of uh, anti-Soviet fears. So Natasha's back at the dorm, and she's packing her bags, and uh, she wants to go back home because she's not wanted here. And uh, clearly she is wanted for uh, destroying the professor's computer. And uh, And when Clark says it's not true, he's responding to the point that the professor doesn't want her there. He's not necessarily uh, saying that she didn't do it. And that's going to be a major thing about this episode is that while TJ is head over heels in love with this girl, Clark is not. And Clark is not going to dismiss the possibility of her guilt just because TJ's dating her. So after uh, she tells them she's leaving, the uh, Soviet representative walks in and tells uh, Natasha she has to stay uh, for the good of the program. And then after she leaves, we find out uh, that TJ is dating the Russian exchange student. Of course he is. And he's also expanding his uh, linguistic horizons as he's learning how to say, I love you in Russian. Very adorable. This will come into play later. For a minute, I thought TJ and Natasha were going to stare at each other for the entire episode, but fortunately they don't. So we're going to find out in the next scene with the professor that Clark is wrong. The professor does not want Natasha there, but clearly he's being forced to keep her on. I don't know if somebody appealed to his patriotism or... If he was ordered by somebody to keep her on, but he's keeping her on, even though there are people who believe she might be a Soviet agent. So, yeah, this is the kind of thing we're dealing on a cheaply made Superboy episode. So, in the uh, Schuster University van, Clark and Lana are interrogating TJ on why he missed whatever concert they were forced to go to the night before. And uh, there's tension here developing between Clark and TJ because, like I said, he's not just uh, dismissing Natasha's guilt out of hand. Unfortunately, uh, TJ's not realizing is. Just because she's his girlfriend, that fact alone does not absolve her from guilt, if she's guilty. You've heard me read the synopsis, we know she's not, but throughout this episode, it's unclear, purposely. And tension is developing here between Clark and TJ because of it. Clark uh, calls him not objective, which of course TJ isn't, and uh, TJ uh, fires back that Clark is prejudiced, and this all gets a very uh, 1988 PG ugly, and when I say that, I mean, you know, just a bit of a snipping back and forth. I mean, nothing really happens. 
except the TJ appears to jump out of a moving vehicle that at least I thought it was moving. You really can't see. I'm sure the van was never moving except for uh, the camera giving the illusion of movement. But TJ jumps out of the van and uh, if somebody doesn't get behind the wheel soon, it might crash into something. Hopefully, because uh, I don't think he put it in a park before he, before he bailed. So uh, Clark is uh, doing interviews at uh, this exhibition here and Cl- and Clark talks to the professor and this invention will decrease gas prices by 90% and solve the energy crisis. So you started to get an idea of what kind of people are not necessarily thrilled by what this scientist is working on. The synopsis already told you who. But the professor is definitely uh, short with Clark. He uh, doesn't want to be bothered. I mean, he's proud of his work, but he gets snippy when Clark mentions uh, the Russian exchange program and then kind of dismisses himself. So he's annoyed that he has to keep Natasha on when she may be endangering his work. And this version of Clark seems to have a little bit of drive, a little bit of chip, a chip on his shoulder. I like it. He, he's got the making of a good reporter. He's uh, he's doing a good job. I mean, there's no Lois Lane character in this show. So, you know, a lot of the times Lois Lane kind of takes the uh, the forefront of uh, driving the uh, reporting story forward. But in the absence of her, Clark has to do it. And Clark's dedication and skill with the school paper is something I'm enjoying in these early episodes. And I hope I'd like to see it continue for as long as it does. I know I originally watched the show in uh, seasons three and four, and there was no sign of any kind of newspaper, just the Bureau of Extra Normal Matters. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how long this uh, school paper thing uh, continues. So Clark sees something wrong with the experiment, and I'm not sure what he's seeing, but at the job of Superboy, I mean, the screen was showing uh, something on the car fill up, so I guess Clark noticed something was wrong. If something was supposed to be shown wrong there, it didn't jump out to me. So he turns into Superboy, and who saves the professor from an exploding truck. And of course, everybody rushes the burning car, because the first thing you want to do when a car is burning in front of you is run directly toward it. But the uh, military jeep is destroyed, and, uh, and Superboy has rescued the professor, like I said, and the professor kind of looks at him almost uncertainly. It's still early enough in the show that he's unfamiliar to people. So Natasha asks the professor what she can do to help, and uh, he won't allow it. She is still prime suspect number one. He doesn't trust her. He's forced to to keep her on his, I guess you can call it staff, his staff of three. He's being forced to keep her by the government, I presume. So even though he's forced to keep her on, he's going to try to minimize her as much as possible because he truly believes that she's a saboteur. And we haven't seen anything yet that exonerates her. And actually, we're going to find something in the next scene that makes her look even more guilty. As the professor points out that the chemical agent Ether was added to uh, the mixture to make it explode. And surprise, surprise, Ether is found in Natasha's locker. So things keep piling up against young Natasha. Oh, by the way, uh, this uh, episode doesn't feature the return of, of Detective Dan Harris from the A Kind of Princess episode. So, Natasha has been uh, released to the Soviet Council, and uh, she has to be out of the country in three days. I guess if she's not, she will face, uh, I guess, some kind of terrorism charges, I guess. So, Clark says the only way to uh, make it possible for Natasha to stay is to prove her innocence, much to the shock of TJ and Lana, who have been misinterpreting Clark the whole time, and it's rather frustrating. Not only for him, but for me, the viewer. And Clark says it flat out. 
He never said he thought she was guilty. He just wasn't dismissing the possibility. Like Lana asks what turned Clark, nothing turned him. Clark was only ever trying to find the truth. And if the truth led him to Natasha being the guilty party, he wasn't going to run away from that. If it led him elsewhere, which is going to happen soon, he will follow that to conclusion as well. So he's not about proving Natasha's guilt. He's about getting to whatever the truth is. So speaking of some truth, the next thing we see is Jeff on the phone. He can't talk and everything's all set up. It's a very conspiratorial phone call. Not exactly innocuous. Makes you think something's up. So Clark is also showing the making of a good reporter here when he questions uh, the professor again. And he, he is attacking this from the perspective that the professor is guilty in sabotaging his own experiments. And he trusts Jeff totally, of course. He does not trust uh, Natasha right now because of where she comes from, which is unfortunate. But when you're brought up with a certain amount of prejudice... I mean, the Cold War had been going on since World War II. So we're talking 40-some-odd years. This professor is probably 60. So in his mind, the U.S. has been in the Cold War for most of his life. So like everybody else, he probably has generated a great deal of distrust and maybe even hatred for Soviets and uh, Russians. Not good, but you can see where that kind of paranoia and prejudice would come from. But the uh, professor makes a good point. Why would he, he make an explosion that almost killed him? He was pretty close to that explosion. If he was setting it up, he would have made sure it was a lot further away from his uh, from his person. So, good point. That makes it seem like the uh, professor is innocent. That and the phone call that nobody else knows about yet. So, TJ, meanwhile, is tailing Jeff into some kind of office building. And uh, it had been bugging me the entire time I was watching this episode where I'd seen Jeff before. And the actor uh, looked familiar to me. But going through uh, Courtney Gaines's IMDb, the only thing that came up that I've seen him in is Back to the Future from three years earlier. He uh, might be one of the kids at the dance. I think he's the one that congratulated George for uh, laying out Biff with one punch. I'd have to turn the movie on to get a better look, but eh, maybe I'll do that. But I'm 99% sure that's who Courtney Gaines played. I mean, Courtney Gaines has a very distinct look, very. Uh, reddish orange hair and he's a ginger and the only ginger i remember from back to the future was the kid i just mentioned so jeff is working for mr drake an oil magnate who wants to ruin the professor understandably so too because uh drake says the professor's work will ruin him so tj is uh caught outside the uh drake's oil company's office uh by uh i don't know if you want to call it security more like thugs and uh tj's brought into mr drake and uh Drake is going to uh, send TJ home to mommy out the window. But here comes Superboy to make a last second diving catch. Obviously, the show can't afford to have him catch TJ. So he kind of just catches him from the ground. That's just uh, almost uh, getting to the uh, level of cheapness where you start to deal with Dean Kane cape flutters. So after uh, Superboy leaves TJ, uh, he TJ calls Lana. I don't know why Superboy doesn't go straight to the lab, but I guess because the episode has a few minutes left. And now uh, Jeff is back, and he's uh, captured uh, Natasha and the professor, and he's trying to find the disc. And the professor may not like Natasha, but he's not going to willingly get her killed either. So the professor gives up the disc, and it's one of those big floppy disks that I probably haven't seen since the early 90s. And that's at the most recent. By the time I, by the time our computer showed up in my house in the late 90s, 
we were using those harder uh, three and a half inch floppy disks. So it looks like Jeff is going to try his hand at arson and uh, burn everyone to death. But here comes Superboy flying through a cheap window. And Jeff takes a shot at him. And Superboy covers his face when he deflects the bullet. Does he not realize yet that he is completely bulletproof? Even his pretty face? I guess not. Brandon Routh Superman knew. He took a bullet in the eye. So Jeff is caught. Everyone is saved. And apparently TJ and Natasha can't wait until everyone leaves before they play a game of tonsil hockey. So now we get our bittersweet ending. Natasha's name is cleared, but she's still going home. And you think she's going home because of her experience, because of her bad experience here, but this ending gives us a little bit of a misdirection as no, she's not going home because things are awful in America for her. She's going home because for some reason, Professor Gordon is going to finish his work in Russia and he wants her to go with him. I'm not sure why an American scientist is being imported to Russia. Maybe it's part of this exchange program. I don't know. It seems like they would exchange more students than uh, scientists on the verge of retirement. But uh, what do I know? But since Natasha's going home, that's the end of this relationship. And TJ's not very happy about it. You know, I wonder how he thought this was going to end. I mean, I'm sure he wasn't thinking about it that at all. I mean, when you get into a new relationship, you never think about the ending. But he had to know that at some point she'd go home. This is just the inevitable conclusion to dating an exchange student who may or may not have ever had any intention of staying beyond the semester abroad you never know so that was a better episode than the previous effort a little more drama a little more to chew on than back to the oblivion which was just a walk through a scrapyard and uh, try to keep it all man from hurting himself and others the stories are okay but the episodes are done in by how cheap they look but next time i'm gonna go back to ruby spear superman with the Superman story, The Hunter, and the family album story, Little Runaway. And then Superman and Wonder Woman versus the Sorceress of Time and The Birthday Party. Until then, if you want to leave feedback, it's always welcome. Manascreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over the Facebook group, just put Manascreen Podcast in the search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Manascreencast. Until next time, folks, we're all on the same team. Good night. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.